Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Well, we are in Series 7, Episode number 2. Bobby, this is all about stretch projects. Today is four ways to execute like a rock star, uh, but let's talk first more broadly about the series kind of as a whole and then we'll get into today's episode sounds good so last week we talked about positioning yourself like what what things what roles should you be looking for what projects should you be looking for um how do you know whether it it lines up to your career or not um how should you get prepared for it how do you kind of align yourself to the right sponsor really more just setting up the series and and talking about the different ways to um to take on the project. The today's episode is all about four ways to execute like a rock star. So we're going to get very specific into the actual project itself, kind of the tactical execution of the project. And then we're going to wrap the series up next week with their stretch projects and kind of their impact on our own career um, and ideas for yours. So we'll have, we're going to talk through a number of projects that we've taken on over the years. uh, Some of the things that we did well, some of the things we didn't do well, um, and then we're going to give you, you know, I don't know, probably 20 plus ideas for different projects that you could take on yourself. And that will be included with the deliverables as well. So if you want to uh, download this off our website, it'll be at techsellshow.com. But that will be following the release of episode number three. So, Brian, why didn't we title this episode Four Ways to Execute Like an Average Sales Rep? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess we could all execute like average people, right? But that's not what we do here at the Texel Show. That's right. We are rock stars or bust, people. Average is the enemy, like we say. We had somebody, we had a new listener tweet us that. I loved seeing that uh, last week. Uh, tweeted us, average is the enemy. Great stuff. Okay, so, Bobby, this episode is built off of a great article I read by Joe Miller. This is on Forbes.com. And that's, that's kind of the framework of this episode is based off Joe's article. Um, so I'm going to talk through real quickly the high-level parts of four ways, and then we're going to talk about each one of them individually. So the first one is bring a learning mindset and clear your head. The second one is being inquisitive and understanding your audience. The third one is over-delivering which we talked about a little bit in the first episode. So we're going to uh, we're gonna touch on that just a bit more. And then finally, taking advantage of the long-term impact. You've put in all this work, now it's time to take advantage of that long-term impact. Uh, we're going to talk about some of these in context of our past projects as well. We're going to kind of weave those together. So let's start with the first part of this, Bobby. It's uh, bringing a learning mindset and, cleaning and clearing your mind. Um, so in this article that Joe wrote, um, I, I liked what she called out first and foremost was the advice to, to anyone starting a new stretch assignment is to allow yourself to be new at it. And Bobby, one of the things you said in the last episode really resonated to me is that whenever you took on a project, you approached, 
you know, maybe earlier in your career, you kind of approach it as like, this is mine and I know the way it needs to be done and I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get this project done. And there's no doubt about it. I, I, I was the same way early on in our, in our career. We were very good at getting things done. Uh, I think what I like most about this first piece of advice is allowing yourself to be new at it. There is no way you could put your head down and just bulldoze your way through it if you were uh, taking a mindset of being brand new at this particular subject. No doubt. And something that many people that are listening that may be in their first, second, third, fourth, fifth year uh, in your sales career, what I think I didn't understand is there's no way to hyper hyper speed the experience that you're going to accomplish in your career. Um, I used to think many moons ago that um, I was ready to take on these bigger job assignments, these bigger roles, and I had people tell me, you don't have the experience, you're going to get there, be hanging there, and I just would get so frustrated. Do they know how good I'm going to be? But the fact of the matter was they weren't holding me back or they weren't preventing me from having the opportunity. They really wanted me to have that experience. They really wanted me to learn from a, a thousand things that happened around me. And I, I wasn't I wasn't slowing down and being patient. So this bullet really rings true to me that it's okay for us to bring this learning mindset and to clear our head. If the leaders and managers around us want to teach us and they want us to learn through their experiences. So it's okay to not be all knowing when it relates to this. And what's the best is if you do learn and you do take notes and you do try to gain from those experiences, they'll appreciate it more than if you were just the bull in the China cabinet coming in, knocking everything down and getting it to done, but not really learning anything. That's not accomplishing the bigger picture of what a stretch assignment is supposed to be doing for you. Agreed. Um, yeah, I think it's it, – you, you, you touched on this a little bit in the last episode as well. You talked about um, if you keep to yourself, if you keep to yourself, you go in alone. <clears throat> you, the instinct may be to do that because you've seen – we've all seen projects start and then once somebody gets wind of that project – they kind of take it on as their own or they mire it down in so much politics or policy that it can never be accomplished the way you wanted to get it accomplished. So I think it's really important to know um, who these people are, like who good allies are that you can be speaking with and working with so that you're not going in alone, but you're also measuring, not letting this get too broad on the uh, awareness scale that it can be taken over before it gets somewhat molded into what its original consequence was or what thing, what, what problem it was originally trying to solve. There are so many people, you know, we're, we're kind of in a unique position being very close to the customer in the roles that we do in that our job is very binary in, in terms of how we're measured, right? You're either hitting your quota or you're not hitting your quota. Your region's hitting their number or they're not hitting their number. Some people's roles are very much... Uh, they're they're a bit ambiguous, right? That's why for me it would always be hard for me to do an operational type role, is because like, how, what does success look like, right? Like, am I doing a good job? I don't know if I'm doing a good job or not. Like, I, I know if I'm doing a good job if I'm a salesperson. And, and the reason I say all that is to say that there could be people that latch onto this project that you're taking control of, 
and it may help them hit some of their commitments, but man, they may help, they may cause the project to go sideways. So bring a learning mindset, collaborate with people, go talk to, to people that have good specific knowledge in this area or understand the problem statement that you're trying to solve, but be careful as to who you kind of expand this opportunity out to. That brings up a good question then. How do you collaborate? How do you bring in three or four or five people that are in your network and say, hey, I've been I've been asked to take on X, Y, and Z. What do you think about this project? Who? How do you find out which three or four people you might engage like that, Brian? Well, I think you, you need to look for people. It, you need to be looking for the smartest people in the room for that, in my, in my opinion. If, if you want this project, if this is going to be um, – if this is, you know, using your scale from the last episode, if this is going to be a mid-sized project or a large project, um, you need to be collaborating with the smartest people in the room for this. Wouldn't that Those look pe- really weird if I just brought a big mirror in the room <laughs> so I could talk to myself? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah, you need to be collaborating with the smartest people in the room. These people are going to be self-aware. They're not going to be concerned with who gets credit for what. So they're going to be concerned with helping the business helping you, whether they're a mentor of yours, um, you, you need to be working with the smart people in the room. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody in, and I'm not trying to pick on operations. It doesn't mean that operations doesn't have a lot to add to this. It's just, you need to be thoughtful about, uh, who it is you're, you're partnering with on this, on this, you know, quote unquote internal venture, um, to make sure that the scope doesn't get too broad, that it impacts your original problem that you're trying to solve. Sometimes we joke about it, but this really is a point to not be average in this part of it. When you're bringing this learning mindset, uh, the average person might sit and just listen. They might not be the one who asks a lot of questions. But you're being asked to be part of this because your your approach and your mindset probably will bring something to the table that the team around you is looking for. I love to bring someone from the outside of, of a team to to participate in a little project so that I can get new fresh blood. Um, and so they probably want you to be inquisitive. And I think that kind of takes us to the next point, right? Which is number two is be inquisitive and understand the audience. Yeah. It, it's, it's being really curious and, and, and thoughtful and creative. Um, and you have to find this zone. I thought um, Nadia, one of the, I think it was the first interview that we did, uh, talked about um, this zone that she's able to find. And for me, that, that was a really, I, I really enjoyed that interview because it helped me reflect on how, what position do I need to be in mentally and from a day schedule standpoint to be as curious as I can possibly be. Like you said, I, in the last episode we were, we were joking about, I'm in the middle of reading several books at at this point, you know, kind of working on my uh, next project internal at my company. And, um, I, I know specifically when in the day I'm most effective at, at putting together the plan for this. Uh, I know Bobby, when we're, when I'm working on stuff for the podcast, I know the best time for me when, when I need to be uh, writing an episode, I know what that time looks like for me. So um, being, being inquisitive, understanding your audience, being very curious, um, those are really, really critical um, success uh, items uh, in, in terms of, of delivering a great project. Yeah, so I, I was just guessing that there's 
hopefully thousands of people listening to this wondering, how, how do I become inquisitive without looking stupid, right? The, the questions, or maybe how we've all been taught in the past is, oh, there's no stupid questions. But we, we know what it's like to ask the question and everybody look down on that. How, how, how do we continuously be inquisitive without looking like we don't know what we're doing at all? There's got to be some point where we stop there. I, th- I think for me, it's it, it's a great point. I think for me, it's you come with an assumption, but you're prepared for that assumption to be challenged. You don't you don't hold so tight to that assumption that um, that it couldn't be challenged, or the person that you're asking to give feedback on a subject with wouldn't feel uncomfortable to challenge or push back push back at some assertions that you're making. What do you think? I agree with that. I, I guess I put. I put myself in my own shoes. I, I've been a seller for a long time. If someone asked a question that made me think about something and got me a path to sell easier or better, I'm still going to learn from that. If someone asked me or challenged me on something as it relates to flying a plane, but it made me a better pilot, I'm going to listen to that. If there was a golf tip that someone gave me that lowered my score by two or three strokes, I'm going to listen to that. So it, it, won't, it won't matter to the people around you that are truly in it for the greater good and are smart people because if they can learn anything from you and and the conversation that started by any of your questions, that will be seen as a very big positive. Um, I think we both, Brian and I, we talk about it. We're self, we have, we're self-conscious. We have low self-esteem. No one believes that at times, but you know, that's what drives us to be better than average in a lot of cases. Um, and so we're, we've had to break down those barriers that might be in us naturally so that we can ask these questions uh, and be super inquisitive. But that's why people want us on these, these special projects so that they can get the dialogue going to get to the greater good. Yeah, I think, I think of it on a spectrum a lot of times. I, I even think about this on the podcast. There are some people that will listen to a show and they'll take two or three nuggets and they'll be like, man, what you said on this or that really landed with me. And, and, and that was maybe two sentences out of a 30-minute podcast. And there would be some people that said, man, that one episode that you talked about on you know, sales productivity or territory planning, I had 20, you know, 20 notes on that one episode. I think you have to look at when, when you're being inquisitive, when you're looking at your audience, um, it, some, some of what you're delivering may only land with a small part of that audience. Some of it every bit of it's going to land with some people on that audience, but be thinking about who your audience is, who's it going to land with. Um, and, and that will help to start open up to what, what is the deliverable really need to look like? I'll close my part on this section about the part that you do to learn from the questions that you ask. So over time, you're working on this stretch assignment. You've asked a bunch of questions. Hopefully you've taken some good notes but you've gotten feedback. This is what helped this conversation. This is how we got started down this pathway towards success. Learn from those and then share them again in the future. Continue to be inquisitive. No one likes the guy who's on the spe- the guy or girl who's on a special project or a stretch assignment that is the know-it-all. That 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 never helps. It's got to be about the collaboration to get you to the greater good and and learn from it and, and be better at the next special project or the next stretch assignment. Great stuff. Okay, the third point is over-deliver. We talked about this a bit in the first episode. Um, 
don't lose opportunity. Don't lose sight of the opportunity that's been entrusted to you. You know, I think many people get a stretch assignments or a high, highly visible project or even a mid-size uh, visibility project. And they maybe even they took a risk on their own reputation because this is something a, a senior leader asked them to work on. And they kind of saw you as a person that would be a good vehicle to deliver this project. Bobby, you called this out rightly in the first episode. Many times an M1 or an M2 will give you a project and you need to kind of, they're, they're going to receive some of the credit for this project. Whether they did any of the work, they're going to receive some of the credit for you for that project. And that's okay. That's a, that's a good thing in the long run for your career. So I guess from an over-delivery standpoint, don't lose sight the fact that this opportunity to deliver this specific project, it's it lands more, it, it doesn't just land on your shoulders, it lands on their shoulders as well. So delivery is, is, uh, is super critical on the project itself. I would agree. I, I think what comes to mind here is I had a manager um, at Microsoft. We'll, we'll keep his name off the list for right now, but he might have coached me around being a little bit emotional. And some of the things that we did for special projects were so small, so basic, but the people around us didn't know what was going on, but we knew what we were working on. Um, there was a time where we took a meeting on the second floor, actually it was the third floor at the Houston office, where the entire episode for us was for me to keep my mouth shut and not get emotional. And he was going to do everything he could with the whole team in the room to do everything to do, would just drive me insane where I'd have to speak up. Um, but it was, it was really, no, there was no harm, no foul by me not speaking. Um, but I, I, I have this desire to put my elements into a project so bad that I, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. In some of those early days, it was really hard. Um, but success looked like if I kept my mouth shut and I over-delivered by keeping my mouth shut, and sometimes I couldn't keep my mouth shut, and I would get emotional. But um, it was some of the best manager-to-employee learnings that I had by just doing simple assignments like that. And on those instances, you even have to over-deliver. Um, it doesn't have to be a big you know, global project at Microsoft for it to be something that's going to make you better at your career. It could be something as simple as something that you and your boss are trying to accomplish in a small room with other people that don't know what's going on to get better at what you're trying to get better at. Yeah, what it, let's take the example uh, that we talked about in the first episode. Let's say that your manager is going on is going on holiday, going on a vacation for a couple of weeks. And uh, I know that's foreign to the to the U.S. listeners, but man, it's all over the place here in Europe. And it is fantastic, by the way. I highly recommend a two-week vacation. Uh, that doesn't mean you're leaving the company if you're gone for two weeks over here in the States. That's what it typically oh, means. Yeah. You're fired. You're leaving. <laughs> you're right. So... Let's say you're uh, your manager going on going on vacation for a couple weeks. Uh, you've made him or her aware, you know, ideally months before they go on vacation. That man, this is a this is a stretch opportunity that I want. Um, Bobby, let's talk through what things could you be doing for that manager for him or her to over deliver on that project. Well, we say it all the time, but just nail the day job, like get all the stuff done, all the reporting, all the sales forcing, all the CRM updating, all of the rhythm of the business for those two weeks, nail all those things, take a ton of notes and make it real easy for them to get back up to speed when they come back. Just nail 
the to-dos, the day job, right away, right off the bat. That's number one. Number two, I think if I really wanted to over-deliver, I would probably try to incorporate this temporary role with my day job. Like really understand what others around me are doing well and maybe create a synopsis for my manager on things that uh, people might tell me that they might not tell him and find a way to provide some of that feedback um, that would help him get more recognition for turning the team around, put us, pointing us in a new direction, focusing on a new widget that would make us all look better because we're better than most. Maybe it's that up-and-coming product, something like that. Um, but it's only two weeks. You're not going to be able to boil the ocean per se, but I would try to find one thing that I could get out of the team that maybe he or she's not been able to get out of them in the last few weeks. Yeah, I'd add a couple things to that list. Um, as a manager, even an individual contributor, we still on occasion will check in on our email to see how the business is going, to see what sort of emergencies have uh, have raised their ugly head while we're uh, while we're away. Even if it's just a quick ten minute check in, what if in their inbox they had a summary of of the business, how things are running, how the forecasted deals are coming along? They didn't have to proactively reach out to the reps, right? What if you had that kind of summary written out for them? What if we always talk about nailing your day job? What if you continued to nail your day job and you prospected and you found a net new opportunity or what, whatever that whatever your, your sales job looks like? Continue to execute really well on that job because if your business falls off for those two weeks, you're not going to get the same opportunity. They want to know that you can run your business and you can do the next job um, in order to get that again. One, Bobby, one thing I remember you did uh, this was years ago uh, when you were covering as a sales manager is uh, forecasting. You you kind of built out these forecasting workbooks. And I think this is before you even took the management job. Is that right? I believe so. And it was really the, the problem you were trying to solve was that, you know, the, we were using a number of different CRM systems at Microsoft at the time. This was a decade ago or longer ago. And... Um, Trying to trying to gather a forecast from a number of different regions, a number of different sales reps, a number of different products, was a real challenge, and uh, consistency and call business was an even bigger challenge. So, that was one of the things that you recognized. I remember it really well of having a really clear, concise way to forecast the business, and that was actually maybe even on the big side of uh, of solving problems in a two week period of time. Well, that brings up a good point that that's, that's a natural skill I have, Excel, and pulling that data together. If you have some of that and can interject it while your boss is gone, that's a no-brainer. You, you added a few really good ideas uh, that someone could do to over-deliver. I've got to give an example of one time I went on vacation. This was pre-Microsoft. It was my first cruise. I knew I was going to be disconnected, and my quote-unquote um, succession plan person was covering for me while I was out. Well, I get on the cruise ship. We get to Key West. Been been at sea for a couple days. I called him first time I had a signal. Uh, this was early cell phone days. Call him, said how things are going. He said, "Man, it's blowing up, but don't worry about it. Enjoy your vacation." That is the worst thing you can do when your boss <laughs> is traveling is tell him that it's not going so well, but don't worry about it. If you're gonna if you're gonna do that, just lie to him. Tell him everything's going really good. <laughs> they can figure it out when they get home. I probably struggled for about 48 hours to, to just really grasp all that could be going wrong. Uh, it was no benefit to me. It was no benefit to him. It was no benefit to the company. So uh, don't do that. That would be definitely under-delivering. 
I like it. All right, let's jump on to the next one. Um, I, and I think, I mean, we say all these are the most important. I think this is right up there. It's taking advantage of the long-term impact. <clears throat> so these stretch projects can be uh, really important stepping stones to your next big career step. Maybe that's your next job as an individual contributor. Maybe that's your first opportunity at an M1 job. So it's it helps to be really clear, and we, we talked about this a bit in the first episode, what you hope to gain from this assignment. Like how does this align from your career goals and how does this help the business? So take this opportunity to its fullest advantage. If you deliver it really, really well, take this opportunity and do some amazing things with it. I would almost add at this point, and we've done this a couple of times and it's more work than we have time to do, but I almost I might create a one pager of someone deciding what this long-term impact would be from a stretch assignment. If it's not worth sitting down and creating almost like a short one-page project plan on what you're trying to accomplish, what you expect to get out of it, what you expect to give to it, uh, how much time and effort you're willing to put into that kind of special project, who your sponsor is, all the things we've talked about. If you can't write that stuff down, I, I don't think it's really worth doing it in both short or long-term impact. I, I agree. I think you need to look at short-term impact, long-term impact. Um, is is there a hard impact to the business? Is there a soft impact to the business? When we talk about um, virtual technical sales specialists, the the project, you know, kind of one of your big projects at Microsoft, the, the that has a direct correlation to um, micro, money Microsoft didn't have to spend by hiring more specialists. That's hard dollars. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars multiplied by, you know, state by state by state that that was able to impact. So it's really important to understand what are these hard costs and soft costs that you're able to help the the business with because when it comes time for review and you 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 built a great project, you delivered a great project, it's being adopted, it's being used, you want to be able to very quickly point to the impact it had uh, on the business when it comes to your uh, review time, and just talking to other executives, one-on-ones with mentors. You want to have that stuff top of mind. Well, and since you brought up review time, I'll tease Series 8, preparing for your end-of-year review that's going to be released in the December time frame. Love it. And I think, you know, who you need to understand, like, who recognized that impact? Um, Was that something just felt in the region? Was that, were there other leaders that felt this? Like really look broadly at the project and, and what impact it had on there. Um, yeah, you said, Bobby, annual reviews, this is really important. Is this a springboard for an introduction? So let's say that uh, you did some great work building out best practices for a certain product. Could that not be used for someone that it impacted as a springboard to introduce you to someone else in the business? Um, another mentor uh, could be your next job opportunity within the company. So, so look for opportunities for this to, to impact um, your career long-term. Well, there's no doubt on that one pager, there's going to be a section for what are, your, what are you going to get out of it? What is someone committing to? I think that's a big miss um, that we'll, I'll put in the document and we'll, we'll talk about a lot next week as well. But you know, this is not just for the company or you to do more work for your boss. This is that you're going to get something out of it. Um, what's what's something that, that you've been a participant in, Brian, that, that is something that just keeps repaying you for one of those special projects that you were on in the past? Uh, I'd say a, 
I think a common theme one for me has been evaluation plans. So I, I'd love, um, I love kind of the art and science behind managing sales process. Uh, so thinking back to my time at Microsoft, um, both times at Microsoft at, at uh, Sparkhound and at Workday, it's been about evaluation plans. It's about, you know, how do we, you know, what I find is there's a lot of ambiguity in our jobs and our role and a good evaluation plan helps take out some of that ambiguity and gives you some concrete next steps on how you can move an opportunity forward. And, and ultimately, that's what we're all about, right? We, we, we need to understand how we can progress an opportunity or get, or get uninvolved or to, to kill the opportunity. So um, one that I've kind of taken from company to company because each sales process is different, right? Every company pursues deals, pursues um, new prospects uh, differently, new customers differently. Um, but that, that, that process to me yeah, uh, still very much a science and an art behind it. That's something I kind of take from company to company. How about you? Yeah, I hate it when someone's not using an evaluation plan. It still is a. It's it's in every book. It's in every sales article. It's in everything we talk about. But I still see people just go right past it and hope, uh, and it's it never does pan out for them. I think for me, um, at some level, it's probably that Excel stuff, right, that, that I've been able to have long-term impact, uh, as quirky as that sounds. And then it would be probably some of those uh, strategy statements and or, or one-pagers that I've put together that redefine the way a group of people work together or work towards something, um, probably because that scale was beat into me for so long. But um it's almost like a huge 180 degree transition early on it was work harder do more than most read one more white paper it was all about what i was able to accomplish and now later on in my career even through the tech sales show it's how many people can i teach and how many people can i help be better and i know what that impact's going to be for me now i know the the managers and leaders around me want me to make everyone else better um so that's probably my uh trademark today is sharing with as many people as I can uh, with the least amount of effort, like a global podcast. And it really, it, you go, we talked about it in the first episode, it really goes back to if you if if you do nothing, if you take on no stretch projects, which I don't think we have any listeners that aren't looking to, to, to get better and to take these things on, the, the easiest one you can take on is to be the best sharer on your team. Yeah, that doesn't cost anything. That will, it will pay huge yeah. dividends for you. Doesn't cost anything. It's something you can do in real time as it's happening. Be the best sharer. You, you're never going to give away all your best ideas, and if you do, you're probably in the wrong yeah. role. Oh, let's let's uh, let's ask you a question then. Have you ever had someone steal one of your ideas, Brian? I think that's the big reason why we don't share, right? It's because we think someone's going to take credit. Has anyone ever taken credit for your good work? Absolutely, absolutely, and there will be. There were times early in my career, Bobby, that where that really pissed me off. I was really frustrated by it, and I, and I, I now kind of laugh about it a little bit. But if if that's the best idea I was able to come up with, then then uh, point them. No yeah, points I, me. I would say I've had my ideas stolen, borrowed into perpetuity, etc. But I would say more times than not. The right people, the people I really cared about the most, knew that someone else was taking it. They knew they were stealing my idea. They, they gave behind the scenes. I got the credit where credit was due. 
and it was it was them that looked bad, not me, because I was the guy sharing. I was the person trying to enable. Uh, so even if you think there's an outcome that's bad, like someone's going to get all the credit and take your idea, I would almost be willing to bet 100% of the time you're still going to win when they steal it from you. I agree. Bobby, with that, let's wrap it up. Like we always say, average is the enemy. Don't be average. Check out uh, our new Facebook page, our new Twitter page. It's at Texel Show. Um, if you prefer listening to the podcast on YouTube, everything's getting updated there. We've got a whole new social media update going on out there that's really been exciting. If you are listening to us on YouTube today, take a look at the description. It's where you can get links to the series uh, that we're in today in upcoming episodes. Well, the reason we have all this extra stuff going on is not because Brian and Bobby are doing a whole lot more work. We've hired someone to help us with our social media. Maybe we'll let her talk to you in future episodes and give you a little bit of update of what we're Love doing. Uh, and then she'll get more excited about actually talking to each one of y'all as well. As Brian said, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.